0: And welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurts, and Tonight, we got 14 games to break down, 13 games to break down, everyone, maybe even 12 as soon as I get better at figuring out how many games happen in week nine. But we will be talking up every single game that happened on Sunday. I have managed to watch all of them at this point, either live or on NFL Game Pass Condensed. God bless whoever gets those up on the website as quick as they do and allows for true degens like myself and like you listen to this right now to get ahead of the action, figure out what happened, and get on the Week 10 as fast as possible. So I'm going to go through every single game, talk about the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, focus on you know some workload stuff, hopefully some actionable fantasy football takeaways to two take away for the future. Also look at some stuff I noticed on film that might not be in the box score. You could call it beyond the box score or something cool like that. Uh, touch on some injuries and finally, of course, give a PFF Lily matchup stat of the week for those that don't know. PFF Lily is my lovely wiener dog, and I like to highlight every matchup with a cool stat to wrap everything Up, So, thank you for tuning in. As always, have the episodes of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And without further ado, let's get to this Monday edition. So, first game, we had the Falcons defeat the Broncos 34-27. And hey, kudos to Matt Ryan, you know, for playing this game without uh, number two target Calvin Ridley. Some people, even were whispering a few weeks ago if it was number one target. Either way, you know, it's not easy to get it done when you have a receiver as good as Ridley on the sideline. And for Matt Ryan to, to go 284 yards, three touchdowns, and really just not a not make many bad decisions throughout the entire game other than one somewhat ill-advised bomb to uh, Alitime a Zacchaeus. Excuse me for messing up this guy's name, always and forever. Uh, but other than that one deep ball that kind of sailed on him, really, didn't have really uh, any other mistakes to speak of. Did take two sacks, but all in all, very good game from Matt Ryan. I just think we take for granted how good this dude is uh, throwing downfield in those intermediate and deeper ranges. So we had you know, a nice touchdown to Julio Jones on, on one of those, and then also just a beautiful 51-yard bomb to Zacchaeus. So, good game from Matt Ryan, again, the fact he did it without one of his top receivers, he deserves even more credit for doing so. Uh, Drew Locke maybe could have had, uh, you know, a touchdown in the first half, uh, dropped it right in the bucket to Tim Patrick, but couldn't come up with it. But hey, this was back-to-back weeks where, you know, Drew Locke and the Broncos looked like they were pretty much left for dead, only before he brought them back on three separate touchdown drives uh, in the fourth quarter to go ahead and bring things back. So look, on we also got from Drew Locke a rushing floor that we saw for spurts in 2019, but in 2020, you know, he had been sticking more of the pocket, looking to run. More to throw than to take off and uh, and just pick up yards. Which hey, that's probably better for real life. That's better for a second-year quarterback to develop with that mindset. But seven carries for 47 yards and a score on the ground to go along with the 313 passing yards and two scores. We're slowly but surely seeing Drew Locke form into a fancy relevant quarterback in these sort of smooth matchups. So hey, you know, being down tw- uh, being down three or four scores every time you start the fourth quarter isn't ideal. They're gonna need to fix that. But we have seen you know evidence that Locke is at least good enough to bring his team back, put up points in garbage time. That is important in fantasy land. Uh, Looking at these wide receivers, Jerry Judy had himself a hell of a game. Seven catches for 125 yards and a score on team-high 14 targets. Also saw K.J. Hamler flash a little bit with 75 receiving yards. Also had a nice 15-yard rush, and I believe it was a kick return. Uh, He almost took back a long way. So those were the main two guys. Tim Patrick there at nine targets. Didn't see the tight ends as involved as we would have liked with uh, Albert O. leaving the game early, and then also Noah Fant being banged up as well. On the Falcon side of the ball, uh, Zakiya's caught four of six targets for 103 yards in the score. Mentioned Julio Jones. Had a nice touchdown. I mean, he literally shook this dude out of the screen. It was nice nice uh, post-corner. And, you know, when they went back in the wide receiver cornerback, ISO cam, uh, he got rid of that guy so bad, you couldn't even see it by the end of the play. So great job from Julio. I thought Christian Blake was going to be the guy replacing uh, Ridley more so. We'd seen that in the past, but he only ended up with three targets. Just a reminder that, you know, predicting back how backup running backs are going to do, you know, in a game when the starter goes down is hard enough. Predicting a wide receiver to step up into a new role is even harder because obviously we got, you know, running backs and tight ends also influencing the passing games Uh, with these running games. So Todd Gurley led the way 19 carries 53 yards and a touchdown. I tweeted somewhat uh, ironically but I was also being half serious. Uh, Todd Gurley might just end up with this year uh, having you know the worst 20 touchdown season ever so a little play on words. Gurley's being okay out there. He's you know making guys miss every now and again but it has been quite some time now since we've seen a truly efficient performance out of him and again 53 yards on 19 carries not exactly what the doctor ordered but hey uh, continue to have you know 62% of the offensive snaps. Brian Hill is the RB2 at 26%. So Gurley is still going to be, you know, a touchdown dependent and volume-based RB2. Uh, Broncos side of the ball, Melvin Gordon played 62% snaps. Philip Lindsay, 37%. Uh, You know, Lindsay did have eight carries to Gordon six. Gordon continues to be used a little bit more in the passing game, but look, as long as both these guys are healthy, it's going to be very hard to expect consistent fantasy production out of any of them. Um, we that with the injury. So Noah Fant suffered an ankle injury. He, he was hobbled off the field, had to go to the locker room, but he did return. He's just playing at far less than 100% right now, which sucks to see because truly when Fant is healthy, uh, one of the true yak monsters at the position and just throughout the entire league. Uh, PFF Lilly matchup stat here. So in 2019 and 2020, we've had 49 quarterbacks have at least 100 dropbacks. Drew Hawk is 19th in big time throw rate. 40th in turnover-worthy play rate, So, literally, Drew Locke, I mean, I've called him, you know, AFC West Jameis because you see this guy make some fantastic throws, and he has been a top-20 quarterback in terms of, you know, just throws that we've deemed to be big-time. You know, down the field, tight window, big-time throws, what the definition says. And, you know, we look at turnover-worthy plays, though, he's been a bottom-10 quarterback in that. So, there's only been, uh, let's see, overall seven of these guys now that have had a difference of at least 20 in these. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Philip Rivers, Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz, and Eli Manning. So I know we got some aging dudes in there, but either way, this is like the gunslinger club of quarterbacks that you know, Yolo Ball, DGAF, whatever you want to call them. They are fun to watch because you know we see we see the flashes, we things we see when things go good. We also see when things go bad. So I am looking forward to not quitting on Drew Locke. Uh, You know, hopefully he'll give us some uh, continued fancy upside. But either way, he can make bad football fun, and we need more people like that in the NFL. So next matchup, we had the Bills smack the Seahawks 44-34. This was a game that, I mean, really wasn't, this close the Seahawks had uh, chances throughout to kind of even things up and get back into the game but ultimately it was just a Josh Allen show everybody he was awesome and look he has always been a great fancy QB and that's what we tried to stress on this podcast now personally I, I love Josh Allen I think this dude does have a good chance uh, to be a very good real life QB but either way we now have three years of evidence of him being a great fancy QB and you know we'll talk about look, this a little more in the Chiefs game but Similar to Patrick Mahomes, what we're seeing from Josh Allen this year, especially, it's not even that he has to really put the team on his back. The Bills are doing a great job of not only surrounding him with talent, but also just being creative in the play design and being, you know, playing to his strengths and playing to the analytics strengths. I mean, for them to be up in this game the whole time and not have a running back uh, have even 10 carries just kind of speaks to the wellness they were to let Josh Allen keep passing and not to be afraid of, you know, having this big lead and just trying to run the clock out. They realize they need to put up points to win games, and they're happy to do that with Josh Allen slinging it so all in all 415 yards through the air three touchdowns also chipped in a, a touchdown on the ground so you know awesome can continue chemistry with stefan diggs it was good to see john brown get back out there he looked healthier and he had him weeks all in all awesome game from this bill's passing attack uh russell wilson had two interceptions that we usually don't see him make also took five sacks just seemed to be pressing a little bit but you know what it's tough to really blame this guy for trying to force it or trying to you know make a big play happen because then you see the the play where he rolls out and then throws it to david moore more for 55 yards on a ball that you know seemingly went about 70 yards in the air this thing was a freaking missile and he was able to get it over the top of the secondary two more in the end zone so you know i, I know that this was a game where russell wilson did not play to his uh, you know best we've seen much better performances throughout the year but when we've seen him this is the types of throws he can make again and again and again it's no wonder the guy thinks he's superman out there sometime i mean truly I consider Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, it's them and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams in terms of just who are the best mind mode QB one, wide receiver one combos in the entire league. And Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett, they have, you know, probably a 10 minute highlight film of these just incredible throws. They almost had their single best one ever in this game. Must have been from the 40, 45 yard line. Russell was under pressure. He was like backpedaling. He almost jumps and just launches in the end zone. Typical, you know, as Collinsworth calls it, what the moon drop deep ball comes lying in, and you see Tyler. How to of it? getting behind the coverage, getting the back of the end zone, just couldn't quite pull it down. He also had a play where he caught the ball and got down at the one-yard line. So I know Lockett didn't have the big game that a lot of people were hoping for, but oh my goodness, people, they were so close to hooking up for scores on multiple occasions in this one. Uh, sticking with the wide receivers, it was DK Metcalf game. He caught seven to nine targets for 108 yards and a score, looking awesome while he was doing it. I mean, truly, this is a guy, it's unfair how big he is. His touchdown was just, you know, kind of a red zone. Slant route where he was able to box the guy out. It's unfair that he's that big and he has that part of his game. And then he can also just run past literally anyone because he's one of the fastest guys on the field at all times as well. So great, st- great continuing stuff from Metcalf. Again, I understand, you know, this was Metcalf week and Lockett didn't do it, but can't stress enough how much he- how close he was to having uh, another couple touchdowns himself. So he was right there with seven targets. Also, uh, Jacob Hollister having seven targets for whatever reason. But as long as these uh, tight ends are all healthy, it's going to be tough to expect, you know, consistent production from. From any of them, but, you know, I know a big storyline going in next week is going to be, you know, Metcalf or Lockett, and that has been the case over the past month, but first month of the season we saw both these guys balling out, and again, I, I think it's more of just kind of recency bias and thinking uh, Russ can only enable one of these guys per week, when reality, I think we'll probably get a boom game of both of them going off sooner rather than later. Uh, on the Bills' side, yeah, Stefan Diggs caught 9 of 12 targets for 118 yards. His yak ability was really off the charts in this one. I know, I know. Seahawks league worst secondary and you no know, receiving yards allowed and they you know although they pressure although they sacked Josh Allen seven times uh, this was the worst defense in the league and pressure rate coming in so if there was a game to really show off this Bills passing game this was it and show off they did also credit to John Brown eight catches for 99 yards Cole Beasley only had three catches for 39 yards when Brown is going to be this healthy I think Beasley is going to take a step back and be more of a true number three wide receiver but hey this Bills high-flying offense uh, we do want you know fancy access to pretty much anyone that's going to be involved. Looking at these backfields, Zach Moss played 56% of the Bill snaps, Singletary is at 45%. Moss had nine carries to Singletary's two, I and mean, while Singletary led the way in targets, uh, this was two weeks in a row, and Moss was able to find the end zone and kind of look like the overall better back out there. I don't think this is going to be a situation where Moss takes over, even if uh, Singletary or Moss gets hurt. I think we're going to see Yeldon uh, pop back in the picture and continue to make this a two-back committee. The only problem in Buffalo is that Josh Allen, he doesn't like checking the ball down, and he loves taking off near the ten inside the 10-yard line, so. Well... <laughs> We look at Singletary being the pass down back. That's great, but this offense doesn't pass their backs that much. And we look at Moss being the goal line back. That's great, but the quarterback in this offense is, you know, the closest thing we have to a vulture to the running back position. So, you know, just it becomes tough on a week-to-week basis to rank either of these guys inside the top 24 backs, and I think it will continue to be so moving forward. Uh, with the Seahawks, we did not see DJ Dallas play nearly as nearly as much as we did in past weeks, which was something that we were talking about all week on this podcast. He ended up with just 32% snaps. Homer was at 46%. Uh, Dallas had you know, led the way with seven carries and two targets, but Homer uh, busted off you know, a long screen for 50 yards. That shows some nice explosion. He was out there more often than not in the two-minute drill. So, sounds like Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde are pretty close to returning. Uh, you know, DJ Dallas, not someone. Look, he's had, I think it's 32 touches now in two games, and not a single one has gone for over 10 yards. So, we found the end zone again, but, you know, truly can't overstate how mediocre he has looked over these past two weeks. I think as soon as one of Carson or Hyde are healthy, they will get back to taking over with this backfield. Uh, No injuries to report from this one. Uh, I would say tune in to our Tuesday episode of the podcast. I break down the Monday night game and also, you know, the key just waiver wire moves. So that covers a lot of injuries. And then also for the Friday podcast, I break down the Thursday night game and the injuries to watch ahead of the weekend. So just working off what I could find tonight. But obviously, we'll have more information on this Monday and Tuesday. And then quickly on the snap rates. Again, this is, you know, coming to you Sunday night. I'm talking to you uh, 1143 p.m. Eastern time right now. So not everything is official just yet. So if I'm off a little bit when things finalize, apologies but again we are trying to catch you up as quickly as possible uh pff lily stat from this matchup so look this year only players with five games with at least 300 passing yards joe burrow Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Josh Allen. This was his second 400-yard performance of the year. He now joins Dak Prescott as the only QBs with multiple such games. And if you didn't hear people, Josh Allen didn't have a single 300-yard game in 2018-2019. Goes to show you that people can improve when their surrounding cast improves, and they just happen to get better. So love it. Love Josh Allen. Love Bill's Mafia. Great win for the squad. Uh, next matchup here, Titans beat the Bears 24-17. So Ryan Tannehill, it was a somewhat mis- Leading uh, kind of final box score. He played a little bit better, I think, than the numbers show. I mean, only 10 to 21 for 158 yards and two scores against this Bears D, but had a good 40 or 50 yard, you know, potential completion dropped by Corey Davis and had some other balls that I just think his receivers probably could have come down with for him. So, look, ultimately, 21 pass attempts. They built a 24 to 3 lead. Just wasn't a situation where Tano had to put his foot down, but against a very good defense. I mean, did show uh, the upside and again had some nice uh, little loft on his deep balls. Uh, Nick Foles, look, the Bears didn't score their first points until 12 minutes and 30 seconds in the fourth quarter so it was all out comeback mode he ended up racking up 52 pass attempts for 335 yards and two scores there were some good throws here and there but I mean overall it was truly just more comeback mode inspired than anything and we've seen this more often than not with Foles and the Bears in their center they were fantastic in the Falcons game and even last week in the second half against the Saints I thought Foles was playing some of his better football of the season. But uh, this one, again, you know, we saw some nice shots to Anthony Miller and uh, Darnell Mooney especially. Uh, and Allen Robinson just made spectacular plays seemingly every time he was targeted, whether it was on target or not. But again, just one of these games where Foles would have liked to see a little bit more before the game was out of reach in the fourth quarter. Um, looking at these wide receivers, yeah, Allen Robinson caught seven of nine targets for 81 yards. Truly seemed like every single catch he made was ridiculous. We'll definitely be you know, cropping those out and getting a video out on the old Twitter sphere here soon. Uh, Jimmy Graham caught six of six targets for 55 yards and a score. If we're not going to see Cole Komet involved like we did in this one, he stays banged up. Uh, Could be a situation where we can creep Jimmy Graham a little bit closer to that tight end one borderline as opposed to the touchdown dependent tight end two he's been for most of the season. Anthony Miller five catches, 59 yards. Darnell Mooney five catches, 43 yards, eight and 11 targets respectively. Look, these are pretty solid numbers, but again, this, this was just a game that was pretty heavily influenced by the Titans blowing them out. I'm pretty sure more often than not the Bears are not going to want to pass the ball 50 plus times in a week uh, with the Titans AJB wide receiver one season strikes again everybody four catches 101 yards and a score oh my like they were some of the most impressive four catches you would have ever seen too I mean 40 yard uh, catch and run where the dude broke multiple tackles also had another catch and run where he, I mean look earlier in the year when he was uh, getting all these points there he didn't look 100 percent it was almost like they were just really utilizing him in the red zone and he was making his living you know just being a physical big body beast down there. But now we're starting to see that yak ability come back, and it is a scary sight to see for sure. Uh, Ended up cashing in on a nice touchdown on a well-thrown ball from Tannehill, and AJB just carried the defender in for six. So awesome game from him. We got a Corey Davis goose egg, and I'm pretty sure on this podcast last week, you know, I was speaking to him being a potential wide receiver too moving forward because going into this game, he was the wide receiver 16 in PPR points per game. But I'm pretty sure I said specifically, you know, famous last words though, with expecting this from Corey Davis, and that ended up being the case. So look, I mean, facing the Bears, this was never going to be an easy matchup for this passing game. And Then you add in the newfound reality, you know, they didn't have any sort of just high-end volume to work with. And yeah, okay, when Tannehill's going to only throw the ball 21 times, we're not going to see multiple guys ball out. Same thing we see in Minnesota when Kirk Cousins... Uh, ends up handing hand the ball off to more Dalvin Cook. We see Thielen and Jefferson not have as big as games. So, look, A.J. Brown, he is for sure the wide receiver one. I still think Corey Davis, more weeks and not, can give us something resembling uh, wide receiver two value. You know, we'll pump the brakes a little bit and go back to upside wide receiver three mode. But, you know, just realize Davis isn't going to be completely useless uh, here moving forward. Famous last words again. Uh, looking at these backfields here real quick. Derrick Henry, 53% snaps, 21 carries, no targets. Not a single uh, backfield target, which is a shame. I mean, we saw them work a little bit harder to get Henry some screens earlier in the year. He pops with some of the top running backs in the league in terms of yards per target. I know he's not Alvin Kamara or anything, but you just get that dude in space, problems happen. So, disappointing game from Henry in that he only had 21 carries for 68 scoreless yards. This was a Bears defense that... You know, low key had allowed the second highest uh, explosive run play rate going into this game. They were bottom five end yards before contact allowed per carry. But I think we're seeing this Titans offensive line maybe not be the same, you know, kind of group of monsters without Luan at left tackle. But look, Derrick Henry, when he gets these monster chunk gains, we see him just have these weak, uh, just weak winning performances. I'm sure some of those will still be down the stretch as winter continues to come. This game just wasn't it. On the Bears side of the ball, David Montgomery was dominating snaps uh, until he got injured, unfortunately suffered a concussion and also had a fumble in this one where he caught a little scream was already being forced to make someone miss in the backfield and unfortunately fumbled the ball and Titans took it back to the house so it wasn't a good game from Montgomery, but you look at what happened afterwards and Ryan Nall, who was their you know, usual fullback, uh, he came in and was just playing as the usual tailback with Montgomery out. He caught four balls for 35 yards and a score when they were in comeback mode. So I know you can look at this performance from Montgomery and say, oh, what a bust. But truly, I think if he would have been able to be out there for 60 minutes, we would have continued to see that sort of volume induced RB2 value that he's been ever since Tariq Cohen went down. So if he's able to clear the concussion protocol, he'll continue to be ranked as a top 20 back Certainly closer to that RB2 borderline, though, when he's in tougher matchups. It was his disappointing performance from the Bears in this one, though. I mean, titans defense has been pretty mediocre all season long. And you take away Clowney from the occasion. Seemed like a spot that could maybe get some momentum going, but alas. So, PFF Lloyd matchup stat of the week. I got to give some shine to my guy, A.J. Brown. So, 58 wide receivers have at least 100 targets over the past two seasons. A.J. Brown's ranks number 7 in PFF receiving grade, number 1 in total forced missed tackles on receptions, number 2 in yards, per reception number one in yards after the catch per reception and probably my favorite stat yards per route run he is number three among all these wide receivers behind only Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas I'm not kidding when I tell you people every week is AJ Brown wide receiver one week and the season never ends keep signing up it's a great time and it's very fun to be here next matchup we got the Ravens defeating the Colts 24 to 10 this was not the kind of bounce back performance through the air that we were hoping for from Lamar Jackson. But at the same time, I mean, the guy completed 19 of 23 passes for 170 yards. So we didn't see much explosion on either side of the ball. I mean, literally the Ravens and the Colts, they had long pass plays of 21 and then 20 yards and that was it. So really no big plays from anyone involved throughout this. There wasn't a rush from either team longer than 16 yards. The Ravens didn't have a run play longer than 10 yards. I mean, this was a game that just kind of slugged, slugged around, good defense being played on both sides. Darius Leonard had himself a day flying around all over the field so you know Ravens got the win they were able to benefit on Jonathan Taylor fumble uh, and they took that one back in the house so a little bit closer than the scoreboard maybe suggested from a typical offense versus defense standpoint but look with Lamar I mean I wrote a big article on him last week talking about his expectations for the rest of the season and I do think he is a buy low candidate because even in these sorts of you know mediocre passing performances just in terms of his total output you know 170 yards and no passing touchdowns he still added 13 carries for 58 yards and a score on the ground it's not quite 2019 lamar jackson but i'll tell you what 2020 lamar jackson still anyone's idea of a weekly top six fantasy quarterback Hope Rivers was struggling to get really anything going downfield, which, hey, you know, his receivers are all sorts of banged up. No T.Y. Hilton, and his offensive line was kind of struggling to pressure to prevent pressure for really the first time all season. So, again, no explosive plays. There was a situation where Rivers would get them moving down the field for a little bit, you know, good screen here, good screen there, but just nothing that they were able to sustain really to get too far down the field. So, when they were able to score, it was Jonathan Taylor from the one yard line. But other than that, I mean, they scored seven points in that first quarter, couldn't get more than a field goal the rest of the time. So, a lot of pressure. you know. Minimal guys were open. It wasn't like Rivers was just missing wide open throws again and again and again, but not exactly the quarterback at this point in his career that you want trying to bring guys back. In to Rivers' uh, point, he did miss Mo'Ally Cox on a potential touchdown. Mo'Ally Cox did draw a defensive pass interference, and that's what led to the Jonathan Taylor uh, score, but could have been a bigger game from Rivers uh, potentially. I would say his most notable play was the worst tackle attempt you have maybe ever seen on the Jonathan Taylor fumble. Uh, Rivers first fell down and just kind of threw his hands up as the as quarterback cornerback or whoever it was that picked up the ball ended up going back all the way for six so that'll be a fun one to pull up on the all 22 later in the week i think it's already making its way around social media Looking at these wide receiver groups, I mean, look, no one caught a touchdown. No one had more than 60 receiving yards. It was just a bad game all around. Squeaky wheel spot for Marquise Brown was not meant to be. Caught three or five targets for 38 yards. No one on the Ravens had more than five targets, and that includes Mark Andrews, who was just at three catches for 22 yards. So a situation on both sides of the ball was just fairly condensed on the Colts. You know, Michael Pittman had seven targets. Marcus Johnson had seven targets. But everyone else was, you know, just around kind kind of three, four range. This is what we have in these offenses. They're both run-first offenses that even when some of the pass game volume spikes, like with Phillip Rivers, we got RBs, wide receivers, and tight ends all involved. And it's particularly true with the Colts and them getting those other position groups uh, really involved in the passing game. But even with the Ravens, I mean, it's Mark Brown and Mark Andrews. And as we've seen this year, even those guys aren't too uh, guaranteed on a week-to-week basis. At this point, might have to move Hollywood down to that more of a boom or bust wide receiver three if you haven't already. He's a talented guy, but, you know, maybe it's just the fact that there is no one else on this entire, really in this entire Ravens passing game that truly strikes fear in you in terms of just going downfield. So, you know, I'm sure he's still keeping guys honest uh, because otherwise we see them taking more shots downfield, but production simply hasn't been there at this point. And Mark Andrews, I mean, look, he's too good to go too much longer with these sort of games, but Nick Boyle had four targets. So, I mean, they're really using him uh, like, uh, you know, Hayden Hurst, just uh, they're almost giving him those routes. So I think we all kind of thought losing Hayden Hurst would give Mark Andrews even more targetable volume. Instead, Boyle's gotten more involved. So the tight end position is at such a sad state overall. I think Andrew's going to continue to be in that top five weekly uh, rankings more times than not, but uh, certainly kind of hasn't been the 2020 continued breakout that we were hoping for from him with these backfields. So, J.K. Dobbins led the way in snaps with 57%, also carries with 12. Gus Edwards still was right there at 38% and 11 carries, and he got the start. Biggest thing, I think, was Lamar Jackson just carrying the ball a little bit more, and because of that, we saw Dobbins and Edwards finish under that 15 uh, total touch mark that we were hoping they could clear with ease. Ultimately, just the efficiency wasn't there anyway. I mean, Dobbins only had 30 rushing yards. Edwards, 23. Edwards lost a fumble inside the five-yard line and ended up getting another chance on the next drive and pounded it in for a touchdown. So, look, they seem to trust uh, you know, getting the ball to both guys. Dobbins, the slightly, you know, preferred pass down back, ever slightly preferred, you know, goal line back. But both guys, more weeks than not, are going to be getting these 12 to 15 touches, or hopefully more, you know, if they can get really uh, positive game script. And as long as Mark Ingram remains out, we're continuing to go back to well with these guys as top 24 options out to position more weeks than not. I know this one didn't turn out, but look, Tipton Bay defense was number one going in this week in terms of limited running backs. Cultural number two, and that's, you know, even more so, I think, with the healthy Darius Leonard, which they certainly had in this one. All right, we are on to, oh yeah, oh my gosh, Colts backfield. Almost forgot. So yeah, Jonathan Taylor, I mentioned that fumble. Before that fumble, he was getting truly fed. I mean, it was like the first three or four plays of the game all went to him. He was looking all right out there, and he had the touchdown, a little dive uh, over the pile and reach the ball out. It seemed like things were going good, and maybe he would get, you know, his own sort of like squeaky wheel bounce back spot. But he had the fumble, and after that point, he wasn't completely benched, and they even asked Frank Reich about it uh, after halftime, and he said that, you know, he's still, uh, you know, a person that's going to be involved. And whatnot, But, you know, only saw him, I want to say, for a touch or two the rest of the way. Jordan Wilkins ended up leading the way with 11 carries. Uh, and Naeem Hines continued to lead the way in the passing game with three targets. So, as I was saying on the podcast last week... Jordan Wilkins, him playing this well, it prevents Jonathan Taylor from having that top five, even top ten ceiling that we would just kill for right now. That's out of the picture. We need Taylor to, you know, hopefully get in a somewhat neutral game script at some point, because ever since week one, the Colts have pretty much either been getting blown out, down multiple scores going in the fourth, or they're in a situation where they've been up uh, so much uh, that they've just really been able to lean on Wilkins in the fourth quarter. So this game, you know, more neutral than we've seen, but once the fumble got thrown in there, uh, the potential for Taylor to kind of get around that 15-20 the carry mark went out the window. So I don't think Taylor is going to, you know, be in really a consistent RB1 this year, but don't confuse that with Jordan Wilkins being someone that's going to get his own fantasy value because Taylor's not going anywhere unless we see, you know, another fumble or even two. I don't think he's, you know, going to be at risk of getting benched. there's Naeem Hines. So this remains a volatile three RB backfield that doesn't really have a conclusion, uh, looking to really uh come out anytime soon. Uh one injury to note, Jack Doyle suffered a concussion. With the Colts, it's just about, you know, can we figure out who is going to be getting the ball in this committee? Because we know Rivers can enable some fancy, friendly, tight ends. The problem is just that when all these guys are healthy, we don't see enough opportunities. So in this one, Mo Alley-Cox caught all three of his targets for 43 yards. Trey Burton had four targets, though. Only caught one of them. We know when they like to get on the one-yard line, they have this weird Trey Burton wildcat package. Honestly, both guys could probably be like top 20 options. I would say Burton should probably be the preferred guy that, you know, if you really want to get uh, you know, on the streamers, you should go with him. But Mo Ali Cox is legit. I think Mo Ali Cox is a better player than Trey Burton at this point. But just based on that Wildcat usage and Reichs, you know, history with Burton, even going back to Philly, it does seem like they treat him ahead of Mo Ali Cox in the peck order. And we did see that with the raw target totals in this one. So give me Burton over Mo Cox. Got some more time to think about it before, and we'll see if you know Doyle was going to miss any time. But uh, this is definitely a situation to monitor because you know, similar to Minnesota, similar to Houston, might not be the sexiest tight ends to the roster when they're all held Healthy, but we take away one and that gives us opportunity uh, PFF Lily matchup stat here so want to talk about Lamar Jackson's rushing upside because in eight games now he has 79 carries 469 rushing yards and three scores on the ground that's good for a 16 game pace of 158 rush attempts 938 rushing yards and six scores so the 158 rush attempts would rank second ever at the position behind only 2019 Lamar Jackson and those would also be ahead of uh, 2020 Kyler Murray because we know he is absolutely crushing it right now but he is only on pace for 150 52 carries so Kyle's got the rushing touchdowns and he's got the rushing yards on Lamar I get that but just realize, like, 2020 Lamar Jackson on the ground, maybe not the same world beater he was in 2019, but nobody has been the same world beater that Lamar Jackson was in 2019. 2020 version is still pretty fine. And, again, anytime we can get these sort of dual threat players in fantasy football, they more or less serve as a real-life cheat code. Uh, next matchup here, we had the Chiefs defeat the Panthers 33 231 another just brilliant performance from Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they threw the ball a lot more than I kind of thought they would, and a part of that was the Panthers being able to jump out to a decent little multi-score lead on the, uh, the Chiefs in the first half. But this was still a game that, you know, was 17-13 at halftime. The Chiefs quickly took the lead in the third quarter. So if they wanted to get the uh, run game going, I think they could have. They will at some point. Clyde edwards remains the uh, main dude. But I think more than anything, similar to the Bills, what we need to realize with the Chiefs' offense is just how special they are, not only from a talent standpoint, but also from what they, you know, ask their talent to do schematically because – there was a play. Look, I have been watching, you know, I've watched every single game this season, every single game last season, every really one before. I've watched a lot of football over my time, and I have never seen something that the Chiefs did today, and that was use Patrick Mahomes in pre-snap motion. On his touchdown to Demarcus Robinson, Mahomes took about three steps to his right, and he stopped, and he went running back to his left, more or less being like a wide receiver flying across the formation. They snapped the ball to Mahomes while he was moving. It looked like it was going to be a roll to his left, and he stopped, pivoted, turned, Turn back right and end up throwing a touchdown, some of the defenders look lost out there because, yeah, we never see that. And the quarterback, they can't be moving at the snap. If you know, I remember watching Peyton Manning a couple years ago or just, I guess like a decade ago, not a couple years ago, but uh, he was pretending to still be audibly in the play. They snapped the ball to someone else. That was a flag because he wasn't set. And there's also, you know, we can't have anyone obviously moving towards the line of scrimmage, but to see the Chiefs like use that and I'm, I'm sure there's a, some high school or college that used it first and they're copycatting because we know football is always a copy copycat sport but again just such creativity for a team that doesn't need to rely on its creativity because they have Patrick Freak Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey but the fact that they add all this creativity and great scheme with that talent is what made them the 2019 Super Bowl champs and has them as the favorites to do so again in 2020. On the Panther side of the ball, Teddy Bridgewater finally got that volume going up there. So that was the issue over the past two weeks. My bigger concern was just the fact that we saw this passing game get much less aggressive with Christian McCaffrey back involved. And look, they lost by two points to the Chiefs. They had, I believe it was a 61-yard field goal to win. I fully realize that you don't necessarily need to throw the ball a ton downfield in order to have success in the NFL. Look at the freaking Saints for the better part of the last uh, 15 years. So I get it. But at the same time, you know, this 4.1-yard average, target depth for Bridgewater was easily a season low, as was his 5.8 yards per attempt. So in fantasy land, anytime we can get 49 pass attempts and then this kind of newfound rushing floor from Teddy, that's fine. But, you know, we did see McCaffrey get 10 targets. They did seem to, you know, kind of go out of the way to get the running backs involved. Overall, it's 16 targets to McCaffrey and Mike Davis. I just you know, want to make sure that, you know, hopefully some of these, uh, you know, underneath shots to Curtis Samuel, McCaffrey, Mike Davis. Let's get some long balls to DJ Moore because uh, this is a situation where we've seen them be far more efficient when they are willing to take shots downfield and I think that has brought out uh, the best uh, kind of just mode of the Panthers offense this season. They're still finding their way. This is only the third game, uh, you know, with McCaffrey out there, so I'm sure we'll see better days to come. Either way, Joe Brady, very smart guy. I'm sure he knows what he's doing, and we'll continue to see uh, this Panthers offense improve as the year goes on. Overall, good performance by them. I'm just saying we need to keep an eye on how this passing game is going to change with McCaffrey now in it because, you know, we've seen DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson emerge as solid guys, and McCurdy Samuel having a great game this week. You know, it's feasible to think that that will probably shift back towards DJ but maybe not this is a new passing game when you add a volume hog like McCaffrey there so again small sample I get it I don't want to focus too much on one game but this is important to monitor as we continue to see what this CMC version of the 2020 Panthers offense looks like I would also just note that the Travis Kelsey, when we go on these wide receivers, oh my goodness, I mean, 10 catches, 159 yards on 12 targets, but his yak ability was just unreal throughout this entire game. Uh, Just stiff-arming dudes. I mean, look, he is only... I think it's like 252 days younger than Rob Gronkowski. Like, they're very similar in age. And the thing is, uh, yeah, he is not experiencing anything <laughs> resembling uh, what Gronk did in terms of just a late career decline. It would make sense if he did. The tight end position is one of the most physically demanding spots to play in the entire sport. Hasn't been, Kel- Has been the case with Kelsey. He remains the king of the tight end position in fantasy and real life as long as George Kittle is sidelined. Maybe even not. I'm not trying to take away anything from Kelsey, but hey, Kittle is uh, pretty darn great in his own right. Uh, Tyree Kill. Massive game, nine catches, 113 yards, pair of touchdowns on 18 targets, 18 freaking targets. Uh, we do see Mahomes really lean on his number one wide receivers in certain games. This was one of them. Could have had an even he- bigger game because he got knocked out of bounds, I believe, with a two-yard line one time, and he also had a better ball. Uh, he was a better ball away from a touchdown on one that Mahomes just uh, sailed on him. So, huge game from Tyreek Hill, and it could have been even bigger. So, uh, this is a situation we've seen him find the end zone, I think, in every game this year. And, you know, the Chiefs, they know who their best players are, and they consist find a way to get them the ball, particularly in the passing game. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the app store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet. They cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on. So head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds, odds boost every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out. In-site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT on the Panther side of things mentioned a little bit this already but yeah Christian McCaffrey 10 carries 82 yards in the score Curtis Samuel nine catches 105 yards in the score and Robbie Henderson nine catches 63 yards poor DJ Moore only two catches for 18 yards on three targets he did have I believe it was two additional targets that you know were just nullified by penalty but three targets five targets clearly this was not the involvement we were looking for and again it's not like we're seeing these games and this is what makes it frustrating we're not seeing games where they're targeting DJ Moore and he's not creating out for the catcher he's not getting separation and whatnot he's really just being used more as a field a field stretcher out there and for the yak ability he has I mean the amount of screens they've been throwing Robbie Anderson and stuff like just give a couple of those to DJ Moore, and maybe the defense is just focusing more on him and they're not able to do it as much but it's just interesting because while Robbie Anderson is clearly so much more than that field stretcher role that we kind of pigeonholed him into, the same is also true of DJ Moore. I think we've seen enough evidence over the past few years to prove that. And even for spots this year, you know, he can operate underneath intermediate and deep areas of the field at a very high level. Uh, it's going to be, you know, more volatile than we would like in this Carolina Panthers passing game, particularly with McCaffrey there, you know, a threat to steal anywhere from eight to 10 to even more targets per week. So DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. You know, clearly, we got uh, nine weeks of evidence now of Robbie, you know, being the preferred guy just in terms of overall targets. Even if DJ Moore's are a little bit more fancy-friendly, I think we need to drop both guys moving forward a little bit. Robbie's could be more of a low-end wide receiver two. DJ Moore at this point probably a boomer bust wide receiver three. Still, guys you want in your fantasy team absolutely, particularly when the Panthers are showing this willingness to pass the ball uh, as much as they have. But you know, just we got to keep in mind that when McCaffrey is a threat to lead this passing game in any given week, doesn't help the rest of the guys. Uh, it was a great game by Curtis. Samuel, I'm going to catch all nine of his targets and not all of them were easy. He had a couple of diving catches in there and he also uh, was able to find the end zone. I'm on one occasion I on a little pop pass. So, chipped in 13 rushing yards. Curtis Samuel is your favorite RB wide receiver hybrid. Favorite RB wide receiver hybrid, everybody. Great to see him ball out over these past few weeks. And, yeah, you know, there's worse guys to have than someone that could, you know, be looking at these 10-plus touches in this offense. But I would just say that, you know, with McCaffrey back, with Mike Davis still staying somewhat involved in these wide receivers, uh, you know, I think being ahead of Samuel more weeks than not, still think he's going to be more of a wide receiver four than anything that we can consistently trust in fancy land. Uh, last point with the before we move on to the backfields. Teddy Bridgewater, great game running the ball. Two carries for 19 yards and a score. Converted a huge, I believe it was fourth down, where he went just diving over a guy. Pretty much uh, said Fuka to his uh, personal health. Got the first down, and then ran for a touchdown, I believe, to play after or soon after. So, Teddy has shown some increased mobility this year. And again, when the passing volume is there like it was today, it gives us some great fancy results. With these backfields, uh, Clyde Everett lair 43% snaps, five carries, five targets. Le'Veon Bell is at 31%. Daryl Williams, 26%. Clyde is the guy, but Le'Veon Bell not going away. Clyde's got to have in fantasy, but look, guys, it's the Chiefs' RB1. I mean, at some point, we're going to see them break 20 rushing yards, even though they haven't over the past two weeks. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we saw them really feeding, uh, you know, Clyde against the Bills. They've just found plenty of success through the air over these past few weeks, and Mah- Mahomes has gone freaking bonkers. So, look, when Patrick Mahomes is putting up, you know, scary similar numbers to what he was in 2018 on his way to win the MVP it's tough to kind of get as consistent of an RB involved. Clyde did find the end zone as a receiver. Three catches, 20 yards, and a score. I understand it's frustrating that, you know, that top five ceiling isn't there for him, but even more so than Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Clyde can continue to be treated as a weekly RB two. We know he's, you know, going to get a three to five targets per week. And again, the carries are going to be there more weeks than not here moving forward. He's such an important piece of the Chiefs offense. You know, if you can sell high in him somehow, I don't know why anyone buy him high right now, but if you can do it, I get it. But still... I think more times than not, we want people involved in this Chiefs offense. Do not, uh, you know, just sell Clyde edwards elair for pennies on the dollar uh, just because he's had a couple down weeks. We've seen the big weeks, and we've seen them commit to the run. Uh, Don't let two weeks, you know, two-week sample size really cloud your vision for what he could be down the stretch Uh, with the Panthers. Oh man, a NFL reporter that shares my namesake was talking about there potentially being a split backfield here. I did not agree with that and that did not end up being the case. McCaffrey played 69% of the Panthers' offensive snaps. Mike Davis was down there at 33%. That's actually like a lot smaller than we usually see and part of that was because McCaffrey uh, suffered a ribs injury at the end of the game. was pretty banged up. I think it'll be okay. It didn't seem too serious, but it did at least take him out for a few snaps. But you look at the touches, McCaffrey had 18 carries, 10 targets. Mike Davis just one carry and six targets that shows you all, all you need to know again we've been saying it all, all the time on this podcast Panthers have 64 million reasons why McCaffrey should continue to get all these touches don't expect that to change moving forward pff lily matchup stat of the week so the thing about Mahomes and we mentioned this before you know they're just so smart and creative with him and it's unfair because they don't even have to be he's that talented but just 15.4 percent of Mahomes past attempts this year have been in tight coverage that is the 40th Mark among 48 QBs. So literally 39 of those 48 QBs have been more aggressive, as the cool kids might call it, in terms of throwing the tight windows. One man's aggressive is another man's. Why be that aggressive? Why throw into the tight window when you got a clean window uh, somewhere else? So look, as great as Mahomes is, he really hasn't been any more spectacular than these other quarterbacks when you're throwing the tight windows. That's a tough throw for anybody to make, even the best quarterback in the world. And the fact that Mahomes, I mean, he could easily be at the top of this list because you know you we see the arm talent you think he, that guy doesn't know he can make any throw on the field you know they've been able to just rein him into the point that he's making the smart plays and he also knows when to really go off script and try and make the big plays it has been so great to watch and it truly is a combination that the league has yet to figure out how to stop Quick shout out to our sponsors here. All first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA at Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Love those guys at Monkey Knife Fight. Check them out, everybody. Next game on on the docket we got the vikings defeating the lions 34 220 pretty much you know a replica of the vikings game plan we saw last week give dalvin cook the ball watch him be one of the best players in the league with the ball in his hands and watch him lead us to victory uh, he ended up having 206 rushing yards pair of scores and also chipped in 46 yards receiving because of that we saw kirk cousins have another just low volume week uh you know 20 pass attempts made the most of them you know completed 13 for 220 yards and three scores but just was never a point in this game where Cousins really had to put his foot on the gas. They built a quick 13 0 first quarter lead. I mean, credit to him for some nice throws to Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. I think he's right there in that same kind of Matt Ryan conversation. We almost underrate his ability to get the ball down the field at times He because he, he does it so consistently with these guys. And we just kind of take it for granted at some point. But hey, you know, the touchdowns two to Irv Smith that cover a total of 10 yards, one to Amir Abdullah for 22 yards. I was on a screen. Wasn't a, you know, all that impressive performance, but hey, it was efficient. They got the win- He didn't need to be that impressive. So you know, Cousins was someone this week that I had ranked you know lower than most just because of volume concerns. He made the most of it. But this is the game we play with Kirk Cousins. You know, he has that ceiling in games where they get from behind and they really have to throw the ball. But that's not what the Vikings want to do. And there's just a you know a usual goose egg rushing floor for Kirk Cousins. So you know, he's someone that again, I'm I'm just gonna have a hard time ranking as a QB one unless the matchup is just them as you know a 10 point underdog to someone that doesn't have a good secondary. Because I just think more times than not, we need to change. Is volume in fantasy football and as we've seen over these past few weeks that can often be hard to come by for, for this Minnesota Vikings passing game On the other side, we have Matthew Stafford in the Detroit Lions. This was Stafford's worst game of the season uh, by far. Season low, 6.4 yards per attempt, 39.6 passing grade, two awful interceptions. I mean, he throws one straight to the defender. They block a punt and they get the ball back and he throws an end zone pick that was pretty much straight from the defender as well. So a new low on the season, six yard average target depth. He's only had three games this year with an average target depth under 10 yards. All have occurred without Kenny Galladay. So truly, I mean, it's tough to find another quarterback in the league right now, at least in the short-term memory, that's being more impacted by not having the number one quarterback excuse me, not having the number one wide receiver, then Matthew Stafford without Kenny Galladay. So rough performance, you know, we got guys like Marvin Jones and TJ Hawkinson, who I think we're going to be able to rely on to some extent because they're going to have the volume and be featured uh, usually as the top two options in this passing game, as long as Galladay is out. But Stafford probably be off limits as long as Galladay is out and particularly as long as he is banged up because he is in the concussion protocol at the moment, which gave us a chance to see Mr. Chase Daniel. And look, I have really no comments on Chase Daniel's play but he this guy is the real life alex moran if you guys have not seen blue mountain state please check out that glorious show but chase daniel is a backup qb that has never exactly done anything but because he's been with a bunch of smart teams and played under a bunch of smart coaches people keep giving him money to do nothing chase Daniel has had four not one not two not three four nfl teams agree to pay him at least 10 million dollars he now has eight career touchdowns since entering the league in 2010 Madness. I don't know what it is with the Lions and these types of players, but they're also on pace to give 35 year old Adrian Peterson 206 touches. So you know, we like to say it's tough to assume rational coaching in fantasy football. That could not be more true than it is with the Detroit Lions. Uh, looking at these receivers, mentioned before Marvin Jones, uh, you know, and TJ Hawkinson are the guys to potentially trust. They did score a touchdown. So it was only Danny Amendola that had over 50 receiving yards. So again, you know, I've been talking about Marvin Jones as a potential weekly wide receiver two but Galladay out, I think with the overall passing game, just looking more so it's going to be more in that kind of upside wide receiver three range. Hawkinson found the end zone continues to look like one of the league's best tight ends and for him to get Eight targets. I mean, we're continuing to see them really focus on getting him the ball in fancy friendly red zone situations. I think with just the dire stay of the tight end uh, position, he's going to continue to be a top five guy, you know, more weeks than not. On the Vikings side of the ball, Adam Thielen had five targets, Justin Jefferson had four, Urs Smith had four, Rudolph had four. Cook had two, Abdullah had one. That's it. I mean, again, 20 pass attempts, not much to do there. Jefferson caught three of them. He drew a nice DPI, I uh, 93 three-yard line. Thielen uh, caught two of them, but when these, when they have these games where Cousins just doesn't need to throw the ball and Dalvin Cook wants to go do his thing on everybody, it's just going to be hard to expect much from Jefferson and Thielen. So, you know, they were just really balling out earlier in the year when uh, Cousins was facing some of this more negative game script. Look, they're going to have games where they're not going to be able to win. This is a three-and-five Vikings team. I don't anticipate them going 11 the five, 11 and five with, you know, eight consecutive blowouts to end the season. Uh, just realize that, you know, in games like this, when we see the Vikings as a fairly comfortable home favorite, it might be a good idea to treat uh, both Jefferson and Thielen more as lower end uh, wide receiver twos than, you know, the top 10, top 15 options. We would treat them as in a normal week. Looking at these backfields. So with the Lions, continues to be annoying as all hell. DeAndre Swift played 39% snaps, 13 carries, 5 targets. Karen Johnson right there at 34% snaps, 4 carries, 3 targets. Uh, yeah, and then Agent Peterson, 27% snaps, 8 carries, and 5 targets. So 3 RB backfield remains. Karrion wasn't as involved until the very end. I mean, I think if this was more of a neutral game script, we would have seen DeAndre Swift, you know, more around that 50% mark. But Agent Peterson, still going to be flirting with double-digit carries on a weekly basis. You know, he's not doing much with them at all at this point, but they want to keep him involved for whatever reason. I mean, DeAndre Swift, really all season, uh, I mean, other than that week one drop, has looked like the best running back on this team really just hasn't mattered. So he's going to continue to be a borderline RB two because similar to Antonio Gibson, uh, this role is still good enough for uh, usually 15 combined uh, carries and targets per week, but it could just be so much more for a player of their talents disappointing to see. Yeah, on the Viking side of the ball, Dalvin Cook, 67% snaps, 22 carries and two targets, was able to take those two targets and catch both number 46 yards and again, 206 yards and a pair of scores on the ground. Takes us right into our PFF Lilley matchup stat of the week. So since Cook entered the league in 2017, we've had 69 RBs have at least 200 carries. Dalvin Cook ranks third in PFF rushing grade, tied for 11th in missed force tackles per rush, number 8 in total missed force tackles on runs, number 8 in yards per carry, and number 5 in yards after contact per rush. Guy has truly been incredible. Any top 5 running back list in the league, real life fantasy, whatever needs to have Dalvin Cook on it. Otherwise, it is truly ignorant, false, fake news, whatever you want to call it. Uh, next matchup here the Giants defeat the Washington football team 23 to 20. This was a uh, you know, kind of typical NFC East game. It just makes you kind of wonder throughout it: like, does one of these teams legally have to win the division? You do a little research on Google and you find out that yes, that is unfortunately the case. So uh it wasn't all bad. I'm being a little bit of a dick here. I get it, but Daniel Jones took five sacks against his defensive line, which we expect that he had, was the most pressure quarterback in the league going into this spot, and I don't think that's going to be changing going into Week 10, but, you know, had a nice touchdown down the scene to Evan Ingram. We didn't really see the rushing upside here that we'd seen in past weeks, only had six carries and four yards, but he makes a couple really good throws a week, but we just see some boneheaded decisions. To his credit, you know, he didn't have a turnover in this game. Uh, you know, he or, Okay, excuse me, he did. He lost a fumble, per usual, but he didn't have an interception in this game, and, you know, he took the sacks, but I think that was more on the Pass rush and him holding the ball for too long, but situation where, where you know, we know he's not getting you know high-end help from Jason Garrett in the in the schematics uh, that he's dealing with, and you know the talent kind of comes and goes. So hey, in really good matchups, maybe we can get behind him as a tournament option. But Daniel Jones should not consistently be on the fancy radar at this point. Uh, I would point that point out that even the passing a little bit deceiving. Here. He had a 50-yard completion to Austin Mack, where they just pretty much refused to guard the former Buckeye, and there really just wasn't any other explosive plays uh, to speak of. So, you know, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, good talents, but I just still don't think they're being really used, being used to the best of their abilities uh, under this coaching staff. Looking at the Washington football team, uh, Kyle Allen suffered a dislocated ankle, only threw seven attempts before doing so. Looks like he will be out the rest of the season. Again, we'll know more on, tu- on Monday and Tuesday, but certainly doesn't seem like an injury that he's going to be able to come back from anytime soon. And that led to Alex Smith being in the game. So on the surface, his stats look okay. 24 completions, 32 attempts, 325 yards, one touchdown, but you know, it three picks and everyone's saying oh he played pretty well other than the three picks that's pretty tough to say I mean they were pretty awful picks I would blame all of them on him you know it was just situations where he seemed pretty clearly flustered by the pressure and he got the ball out of his hands in an irresponsible way and the defense accordingly picked it off so the Giants underrated defense but they also aren't exactly you know world-class by any stretch of the imagination and you know it's a great story with Alex Smith but we can't continue to let the fact that this guy, look, he's going to win comeback player of the year. It's incredible he's played another snap, but he is not a good option to run this football team's offense right now. An overwhelming amount of this you know, game was just his receivers more or less bailing him out. Terry McLaurin, 68-yard touchdown on a ball that was you know, ill-advised, being thrown the coverage, you know, borderline hospital ball to McLaurin. Doesn't matter. He breaks a couple tackles and finds his way into the end zone. Cam Sims had multiple, three catches for 110 yards. It seemed like every single one he He was running back and forth across the field, racking up the yak. And then 14 targets for J.D. McKissick. He caught nine of them for 65 yards. Two of those targets were, you know, missed J.D. McKissick and intercepted. I feel like that should be factored in there somewhere, but a loss. And, you know, there just wasn't really any big throws throughout the game from Smith all in all we saw the single lowest average target death in a game this season uh with him sitting you know in that low in that low four yard range so again he put it downfield once or twice to McLaurin but it just was not consistent at all and we just saw him really dinking and dunking it throughout so you know again Drew Brees this year is at 6.1 yard average target death and to see Alex Smith there at 4.3 absolutely brutal uh, excuse me from before his week nine lowest single game mark of the year 3.5 yard average target depth. so again these stats, they might change a little bit as things, you know, formally get official uh, going into Monday. But 3.5-yard average target depth, everyone. That surprised me because I did think he was pushing the ball down field a little bit more than the Rams game. But in reality, I mean, again, 14 of his uh, 32 uh, dropbacks, or I guess maybe uh, McKissick might have had one or two at Kyle Allen. Either way, Alex Smith, everyone, great story. This guy loves to check the ball down. Not all that conducive for fantasy success unless Terry McLaurin is going to keep making massive plays like he did today. Uh, yeah, and so looking at this Washington uh, just receiving group, Logan Thomas, three catches on six targets for 28 yards. And, you know, Cam Sims got those 110 yards. But I just think other than Terry McLaurin and, you know, just removing the running backs for a second, in this wide receiver and tight end groups, we want Terry McLaurin. That's it. It's going to be tough to expect any sort of consistent production. Otherwise, we saw some nice hookups with Logan Thomas and Kyle Allen. Not so sure we can trust uh, Alex Smith to sit there the same way. And also it just seems like the, you know, Washington football team, they realize that he's not mobile right now and he can't really protect himself to the best of his abilities. I think that's why we're seeing them lean so heavily on J.D. McKissick when he gets out there. So it's a mix of Smith being willing to do that. It's not like this guy's been known to really chuck the ball down the field throughout his career, other than that one magical season with the Chiefs and uh, Tyree Kill really bring that out of him. But otherwise, I think Washington's content to chuck the ball down and Alex Smith is, you know, really set to help uh, make that dream happen as well. So all in all, J.D. McKissick played 84% of the offensive snaps out here. Antonio Gibson was at 44%. So, you know, the situation where I really just think once Cal Allen left the game, they almost didn't want McKissick to leave the field at all uh, without, you know – they just wanted McKissick to be there out there the entire time with Alex Smith. And I get wanting to protect the guy, but is this really a pass protection thing? I mean, look at J.D. McKissick. He's a definition of a scat back. I look at the pass protection stats. It's not like he's, uh, you know, formidably better than Antonio Gibson. And I understand a lot of it's about, you know, knowing the offense and being able to communicate. But, man, like they're just throwing in the ball anyway. Why can't that be Antonio Gibson? You're taking up the defender, whether he's guarding you or when you're pass blocking him. A lot smarter people than me that know the intricacies of pass blocking. I get it, but it just seems absurd that week after week after week we see Antonio Gibson emerge as you know the second best player in this offense behind Terry McLaurin week after week after week. It doesn't matter and they keep going back to well with JD McKissick. So, it is what it is. I thought post bye we might see you know more of a plan to get there, you know, more talented rookie involved, but might not be the case in 2020 like we were really hoping it would be before. Looking at the Giants' backfield, uh, Wayne Gallman played 55% of the offensive snaps, 14 carries, two targets. Still, though, I mean, Alfred Morris had nine carries and a 22% snap rate. Deion Lewis right there at 23% as well. So it seems like Devontae Freeman will be back sooner sooner rather than later. Would not expect him to walk back directly into that same Saquon Barkley near every down roll. One, because we're seeing, you know, Alfred Morris actually play pretty well. Wayne Gallman's doing all right. Deion Lewis still has a pass down work. And I just don't know if a banged up version of Freeman's going to be able to get that same work. Either way, I mean, look, credit to the New York Giants for rushing for 160 yards in this one. Again, Morris looked good and Gallman has some nice plays as well. But I just think if you can, you know, the more Giants that you can kind of avoid from playing other than, you know, the potential uh, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, volume-induced type play, I would think better to stay away when you can. Uh, so, all right, PFF Lillian matchup stat of the of the matchup here. I want to talk about Alex Smith again? Just this reliance on digging the ball down. Seventy-six percent of Alex Smith's passing yards this season have come after the catch. Jimmy G is number two at sixty-five percent. I mean, Ben DiMucci and Dwayne Haskins are the only other quarterbacks above sixty percent. So you know, to me, this you know what percentage of your passing yards is yards after the catch that can point out a really good scheme or a quarterback that's you know just not really uh, you know down into throwing the ball downfield. And I think with Alex Smith, we are seeing a bad scheme and an offense that does not want the the ball down the field, and this has been the result. So, hey, great story, but I do not think this Washington offense is going to be consistently moving the ball moving forward as long as Alex Smith is under center. Doing good, everybody. we got five more matchups to go through. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Next one up, we got the Texans defeating the Jaguars 27-25. to More just overall goodness from Deshaun Watson in this one. Didn't really have to keep his foot on the gas for the entire game. Uh, opened it up and on the second play of the game, he just threw a simple out route to Brandon Cooks that he busted for a 57-yard touchdown, so it was pretty easy for him. Hooked up with Will Fuller on a nice bomb where Fuller made a cool adjustment. Came back the ball and then uh that I believe it was Henderson uh, for a 77-yard score. So saw some big plays out of Watson, and he also added 50 rushing yards in a number of uh, just plays where he was able to escape the pass rush. So not the biggest game, 281 passing yards and two scores. But hey, again, this is his uh, sixth straight game with multiple touchdowns and 250-plus passing yards. So this has been the best version of Deshaun Watson we've ever seen in terms of you know efficiency on a per-pass basis, yards per attempt, uh, and all that. And without having DeAndre Hopkins there, it's wild. Would this offense be better with DeAndre Hopkins, if they could just, you know, not maybe force feed him as much as they did in the past, of course, I think any offense in the league would be better to, with DeAndre Hopkins. I think it speaks to, to Watson being more comfortable spreading it out. I think it also just speaks to Deshaun Watson likely getting better as he continues to play football and get more chemistry with talented receivers in their own right, like Will Fuller and Brandon Cook. So whatever it is, Deshaun Watson continues to be a weekly top five real life and fantasy quarterback alike. Jake Lutton in his first career start for the Jacksonville Jaguars, third freaking play of the game for him. He hooks up with DJ Chark for a 73-yard score uh, down the sideline. Had single coverage, took a shot and he hit him, man. It was a great play. He made a couple of really nice throws out there. So we had some mistakes. The interception, you know, was pretty ill-advised and overthrown. He took two sacks, but ended up going down there at the end. And he had a 13-yard uh, rushing touchdown to give the Jaguars a chance to get the two-point conversion and send the game into overtime. So they weren't able to convert that, but I'll tell you what, this touchdown was pretty swaggy and had a little spin at the end to get into the end zone so at a minimum he is not going to tank this offense like we see some quarterbacks do and that's good we'll take that and you know looking at some of his advanced stats he looked like a guy that might be more of a check down artist and we did not see that he was willing to take shots down the field so because of that you know dj chark seven catches 146 yards and a score on those 12 targets we can get back to treating dj chark as a weekly wide receiver too particularly with lavisca chennault unfortunately suffering a hamstring injury and you know being a candidate to miss some time so chris conley you know had eight targets i I know he's going to be out there. Keelan Cole, uh, someone that you know continues to be in three wide receiver sets, only had six yards in this game. I don't want anything to do with them. DJ Chark, though, I mean, I think this Jaguars passing game with Minshew or Lutton under center, we can at least support one guy. I don't want Lutton as a fancy quarterback, but I think he can uh, exist enough to get Chark uh, his sort of wide receiver two level fantasy production. Uh, looking at these backfields now Uh, with the Houston side of things David Johnson uh, suffered a concussion early in the game he was running pretty well before then busted off an 18 yard run on his uh, first carry of the game but quickly had to leave so we'll see if he can uh, get to turnaround time but if not could it finally be Duke Johnson three down RB season now before you say you know oh Duke Johnson you mean that scat back no I mean Duke Johnson you mean that scat back because you bought into what Bill O'Brien and Hugh Jackson have been feeding you that fake news over the years I I look at Duke Johnson, a.k.a. Miami University, the freaking use all-time leading rusher as a, you know, no, not a scat back, as a true three-down back that he's operated as throughout his NFL career. If you think he's too small, well, he's literally only missed two games in his six-year career, and those have come this year. So Duke Johnson, I'm not sure if he's going to get this three-down role. will would not surprise me at all if we see them as some sort of veteran running back. After all, we saw the Lions do that with Adrian Peterson. We've seen the 49ers, you know, be just reluctant to kind of hand over a three-down roll to the next man up. We've seen it really all over the league, you know, for time and time again with these coaches, you know, just continuing to not treat a scat back as, you know, a, full, a full-time three-down back. So I don't know if they're going to do it in this one. I he, he had 20 touches for the first time in his career in this game, made good enough use of them. 41 yards rushing and a touchdown, uh, did have a fumble mix in there. But, look, I fully believe Duke Johnson can beat the three-down back. I don't think the Houston Texans are going to give him that role. We'll see. They might be forced to, but this could be the biggest situation of the week to potentially monitor because if they give Duke that David Johnson role, I truly think he can supply according fantasy uh, RB1 value. Look, it's a concussion with David Johnson. Like typically, not every concussion is, you know, equal. Look, I've had several of them myself uh, playing football. So, you know, it's not a situation where we can just say this guy's going to be missing one week. It could easily be a month. It could easily be a season. Who knows what it is? So I don't want to take it lightly by any stretch, but we do see a lot of these situations where guys come back in a week from a concussion if david johnson is dealing with you know a less severe concussion and he only misses a week he should be back and have his usual role again so i just think that you know blowing your entire fab on duke johnson probably a little bit ill-advised uh, i wouldn't be shocked at all if this remains a committee with or without david and once he's back i do expect him to regain control of this backfield With the Jaguars, continues to be James' RB1 season, 73% snap rate, 25 carries. Only had one target. We saw Chris Thompson get four, but I think that was more just uh, kind of a case of the game. They just weren't really prioritizing that. so we've still seen throughout the season with James Robinson, you know, was more incapable in the passing game. I don't think they're, you know, trying to actively stop throwing him the ball. I just think there weren't as many targets to go around the running backs. With Jake Lutton, maybe less willing to check down than Gardner Minshew potentially, but one week sample size, I'm not willing to, you know, freak out about too much, particularly uh, with Robinson still finding a way to get 25 carries in the game that the Jaguars were trailing, uh, you know, going into the fourth quarter. So clearly James Robinson is still the engine of this offense. Continue to treat him as a weekly RB one. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat here. want to give Brandon Cooks some love because each of Tom Brady, this, so these were going into 2020. I'm assuming they're still the same though. Each of Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Jared Goff have averaged more yards per attempt with Brandon Cooks than without during their careers. Deshaun Watson, now the fourth quarterback to play with Brandon Cooks. He is averaging a career best 8.6 yards per attempt. He's a at 7.5, 7.6 and eight yards per attempt over the last three seasons. Speed kills ladies and mostly gentlemen. I'm sure. Look, Brandon Cooks, say what you want about the guy, you know, still being a great receiver or not. He's been making plays and at a minimum, I think even his presence on purely solely his presence on the field truly forces defense to account for him in a major way. And we've seen that not one, not two, not three, but at four different stops now throughout his career. Next game, we got the Raiders defeating the Chargers, 31-226. Uh, fun game, fun back-and-forth game. Pretty much every Chargers game is a fun back-and-forth game, it seems like. So uh, this was a good one. Derek Carr, you know, didn't have the most prolific performance, 13 for 23, 165 yards and two touchdowns. Just a brutal first half. I mean, he could have been, like, picked on his first two throws of the game. Had a brutal, ill-advised fumble uh, deep, you know, inside his own 30, right before halftime that end up giving up, you know, a field goal. That shouldn't have ever happened. But then the third quarter started. He throws a bomb for a touchdown, 45 yards to Nelson Aguilar that was perfectly placed, and then he, he's rolling out. Derek Carr off script, rolling out to his right, launches one down the field, hits Hunter Renfro in stride for 50 yards. Maybe the single best throw I saw all day. I'm sure there's probably a better one than that. Excuse me, it's 12:32 right now. I'm you know trying to trying to remain excited about Hunter Renfro's big catch, and then also Derek Carr on that drive uh, took off for a 12-yard run where he went leaping over a dude. So it was like the most non-Derek card drive ever, but you know what? A lot of 2020 has been Derek Carr doing things that we're not uh, used to him doing. So in this game, you know, we didn't see kind of the fancy production that we've been hoping for, but honestly it just came down to the Raiders not having that many plays to work with. I mean, only 23 pass attempts, only 26 team rush attempts. I think this is just kind of like what we saw with the Panthers over the past few weeks with Teddy, where no, I don't think Derek Carr is going to be as consistent, you know, high-end fancy QB1. He doesn't have the rushing floor for that, or usually the high-end passing game volume, but they not let this one game kind of override what we've seen from him the rest of the year I still think more weeks than not cars should be treated as a borderline fancy QB1 On the other side of the ball, Justin Herbert, 326 yards in a pair of scores. He has thrown for over 300 yards and or three touchdowns in every single start this season. Guy is an absolute baller. Looked like he got hurt for a second, but he stayed in the game. He is tough too. He's got the talent and he's tough. Uh, It was pretty funny just real quick when he went out. He threw a touchdown to like their fullback on a throwback pass, and poor Tyrod Taylor. They put him out there for a two-point conversion and they called like the same exact throwback pass play. Obviously, the defense wasn't surprised. Tyrod started running around. He made a few guys miss and then just got completely lit up at the goal line. So kind of sacrifice your backup quarterback out there. Come on, guys. Be a little bit better at that. But, uh, you know, back to Herbert, just an awesome day. Continues to just make all sorts of big time throws down the field. And you look at this Chargers offense and you can see that, you know, there are oftentimes guys running free. You know, Mike Williams, we got a um, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton. I mean, these guys were getting open deep continuously down the field. And to his credit, he's putting on him a lot of times. So I didn't even mention Keenan Allen there. We know what he is. But truly, even these complimentary receivers in the Los Angeles Chargers offense have been doing a great job all season. Another disappointing game from Hunter Henry. Only four catches for 33 yards. You know, I, again, I don't know how we can go this long. But guys, you know, uh, the fullbacks name, neighbors, like you look at these last three, four weeks, the freaking people that have been catching touchdowns for the Chargers is Getting like Buffalo Bills-esque at this point in terms of the randomness and just the amount of backup tight ends uh, catching these things. But at some point, Hunter Henry probably Probably needs to put forward some better production. But honestly, at the tight end, uh, tight end position, outside Travis Kelsey and kind of sort of Darren Waller, pretty tough to get a grip on anyone as long as George Kittle uh, is sidelined. So great game from this Chargers passing attack. Raiders passing attack. Darren Waller at 10 targets. Nobody else had more than three. You know, mentioned Aguilar and Renfro's big plays. Uh, Henry Ruggs was picking up all the air yards, unfortunately, ended up goose egging. Didn't see the running backs get too involved. And, yeah, credit to Darren Waller for uh, catching a short touchdown uh, uh, eight, I believe is eight yards out. Just perfect throw from Carr uh, to put in a spot. Where really, no one else could get it. But. Not the biggest game, you know, from a yard standpoint. But, again, I think that was a little bit more due uh, to Carr just having the 23 pass attempts. So, in Waller's case, I mean, for him to get 10 of those targets, I guess the total still a little bit disappointing. But, look, he's going to continue to be the number two tight end in fantasy as long as Kittle remains out. He's only going to be ranked behind uh, Mr. Travis Kelsey. Looking at these backfields, uh, with Justin Jackson suffering a knee injury on the very first play of the game, he only played 4% of the offensive snaps. Joshua Kelly led the way with 52%. Nine carries, five targets, and Kalen freaking Ballage freed from C- coach Adam Gase. 41% snaps, 15 carries, three targets, had 69 rushing yards in the score, also 15 receiving yards. He was running well out there, and this has always been a guy that's been awfully athletic. Uh, you know, I think, you know, his brutal year where it was like, what, 2.6 yards per carry or something just miserable in Miami. I mean, you look at that Miami team, and I think you could take, you know, one of the best running backs in the league and put him there, and they probably wouldn't be averaging, you know, more than in the higher threes. So just a brutal situation. As we've seen now with, what, dozens of players, it seems like, uh, once they leave, you know, Coach Adams. Gaze, they are able to ball out elsewhere so uh, Jackson as long as this is not too serious and he was trying to fight his way back in the game I think you know it's not looking like a long-term injury it's still a split backfield as it is with Kelly and Ballard. I mean look please don't spend a significant amount of fab on either of these guys the most likely scenario is Jackson comes back we get a three-headed committee and we also have Troy Main Pope waiting in the wings and he's someone that I believe, got to a limited practice last week in the concussion protocol. Wasn't able to get fully cleared, but we should see more of him moving forward. So do not freak out about this Los Angeles Chargers backfield usage, please. Uh, with the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, 56% snaps, 14 carries, one target. Devontae Booker, 26% snaps, eight carries. Uh, Jalen Richard, 18% uh, percent snaps, one carry, one target. Disappointing stuff. And look, Devontae Booker, he had 68 rushing yards in the score. Jacobs had 65 rushing yards in the score. So Booker made the most of his uh, you know plays. His 23-yard touchdown, I mean, no one laid a finger on him. He just ran around right end. So I think, uh, you know, Jacobs or Richard could have made that play themselves. But whatever, Booker was the one that made it, and he made the most of the usage. This is a little bit concerning for Jacobs. This was a game where, you know, they were up pretty big. Not not huge, but they were upper competitive in this entire game pretty much. I mean, halftime, you know, down uh, 17 to 14. And to have the lead in the fourth quarter. Like you would have expected Jacobs to have 25 plus rushing times more times than not. Again, I think this was just more due to as a team, them not having that many plays. But as we can see, you know, we still don't have just the 80% week in, week out game script uh, independent back with Jacobs that we were hoping for uh, with a player of his talent. So Jacobs, with all these, uh, you know, touches he's still getting and with all the injuries and bye weeks at the position still, uh, you know, coming and occurring every single week, Jacobs isn't going to be, you know, anything other than RB1 here Pretty much regardless of the matchup but this type of stuff is what's stopping him from being you know a true top five option compared to the top 10 top 12 option that he has been that he'll continue to be here moving forward uh yeah so i want to quickly note at the end of this game i mean it was so close to Chargers being able to win it both mike williams and donald parham really had a chance to come down with it you know i don't want to necessarily call them drops because they were pretty good coverage on both but you know if you want to call them drops i wouldn't necessarily blame you so herbert really did give them a chance we need to monitor In addition to that Justin Jackson injury, whether or not Mike Williams uh, is truly going to be banged up, it's tough to tell with the guy. He falls like a sack of bricks every time he goes up for a contested catch. Great player. Again, I've called him, you know, one of the most just— overqualified wide receiver twos in the entire league. Uh, But man, Mike, protect yourself when you're falling down, bro. We want to see you out there making plays. Uh, PFF Lilly matchup stat. So I want to compare Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow because that's what we're going to be doing throughout these guys' entire careers. So PFF passing grade this year. Herbert's at 79.2. Burrow's at 77.8. Herbert has 19 big-time throws and seven turnover-worthy plays. Burrow's at 12 big-time throws and 11 turnover-worthy plays. Burrow's taken twice as many sacks. Herbert has dealt with more drops. Herbert has been more accurate and is averaging a full 1.1 yards more per attempt but Burrow does have a higher average target depth so clearly Herbie has been the superior rookie thus far I do think there's you know some case to be made that uh the you know Chargers receivers have been doing better than the Cincy ones particularly you know with Dusty A.J. Green not not serving as much help until you know a little bit more so recently and as bad as the Chargers offensive line is I do think you know their scheme and just uh, Herbert's you know ability to kind of uh, get the ball out a little bit quicker on more design screens, I think, has made it you know a little bit more fancy-friendly situation for, the rook- for a rookie to thrive. Look, both these guys, in terms of rookie production at the quarterback position, are kind of giving us value that we rarely see. So even if uh, Herbert has been the better option in Burrow, both guys future seems to be very bright uh, next matchup here Steelers beat the Cowboys 24 to 19 in a game that was far closer uh, than most people thought in fact the Cowboys were winning this one most of the way so in a game that I just figured hey I mean everyone can run on the Cowboys why shouldn't the Steelers be able to uh, no that was not the case Dallas you know building their 13 to nothing lead at some point uh, we saw just Rothsberger really have to play comeback mode and keep his foot on the gas so he ended up throwing 42 times uh, racked up 360 yards and three touchdowns could have been even more. I mean, Chase Claypool dropped one deep ball, and I think there were at least, you know, two, at least one, if not two other drops the rest of the way. So, you know, big Ben, truly a nice game. And the fact that he suffered a what looked like a pretty bad knee injury before halftime, kept playing through the pain. Great game from him. Uh, with the Cowboys, Garrett Gilbert, not a bad game. I mean, look, they scored 19 points this week. They scored 23 points combined in week six through eight. So the fact that Gilbert made this offense look even something like a legit NFL offense was great to see for them moving forward when they're going to be facing less, you know, horrific matchups. So overall, Gilbert. Again, not amazing, but the bar could not be lower here for than what we were looking for. 21 for 38, 243 yards, touchdown, and a pick. And again, he was taking shots downfield, doing a nice touchdown to CeeDee Lamb, got Amari Cooper involved. Was not, you know, over-focusing on one guy, which is problematic for fantasy. I'm not sure if we can necessarily treat any of these wide receivers. as top 24 options at the position. Not a single Cowboys player had more than seven targets in this one, each of CeeDee and Gallup had seven. Dalton Schultz was at seven, and Amari Cooper at six. We know his running backs are going to be more involved in future weeks so not great you know from the perspective that Gilbert isn't going to force feed the ball to Amari Cooper one of these guys that we could really focus on but uh, you know with the running game and everything at least this Cowboys offense could maybe just maybe or uh, resemble a mediocre unit more weeks than not here moving forward uh, look at the Steelers uh, passing game yeah Juju Schuster I thought played his best game of the season by far and Juju I am not trying to come down hard on this guy, but he has just not been healthy this entire year. We see him continuously pop up on the injury report on Wednesday with knee injury. They rest him. He comes back Thursday, Friday, and he guts it out. But look, he's had volume issues and just when they have thrown the ball, even when he scored like earlier in the season. like Again, I've watched every freaking snap this dude's played this year. He just has not looked like the same game breaker we saw as a rookie in 2018. And in 2019, he was dealing with all sorts of injuries and atrocious QB play. So I just don't think we've seen the best version of Juju over these past two seasons, this game was the closest we've seen to that. And I understand it's the Cowboys secondary, not exactly, you know, the toughest defense to get going against. But again, just in terms of athleticism and explosiveness with the ball in his hands, I thought Juju looked healthier than he had all season. So that's great because he's a very fun guy and, you know, I want to see everyone in the league be as healthy as possible. Did not even come close to leading the way in targets though. And this is what's going to be concerning moving forward because the efficiency issue is one thing, but the volume rules, you know, King in fantasy football land. And Deontay Johnson had 10 targets chase claypool had 13 Uh, you know claypool caught eight of those for 69 yards Deontay six for 77 hey you know we got three talented guys james washington i'm scoring a touchdown but he only had two targets at least this you know four wide receiver committee is pretty much down to three the problem is you know as we've seen in more weeks before than just this one usually a Steelers passing game is not throwing the ball nearly this often. So I still have it, you know, Claypool 1, Deontay 2, Juju 3, rest of the season in terms of, you know, the receivers that you're going to want more weeks than not. I've remained pretty steady on that over about the past month or so, but, you know, Juju, at least he is looking better, should be able to make more use out of these targets as they come. Uh, looking at these backfields, Zico Elliott played 65% snaps with that a bulky hamstring, 18 carries, 3 targets, had 51 rushing yards. Tony Pollard on half of the carries, uh, had 51 57 rushing yards. Only played 32% snaps. But, you know, Pollard... Put him out there. He let him try to make some uh, plays with the ball in his hands. He certainly has looked like the better back for this year, and you could argue in 2019 as well. It's not even that much of an indictment on Zeke. It is because of all the money he's making. But, I mean, you just look at these past two seasons, and Tony Pollard's guy's name right up there with, you know, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook in terms of just the most elusive running backs in the entire league. So he is playing great, but truly he's playing great regardless of who the starter is. It just happens to be Zeke Elliott. So Zeke, he made some okay runs out there, you know, relative to what we see in recent weeks. But I mean, the bar and standard is obviously far higher than any kind of performance he's put out there. Uh, Just another game where, hey, he had the 20 touches and he was able to kind of pick up 69 scores yards with those, uh, you know, opportunities, but didn't find the end zone. The biggest issue for Zeke and the 2020 version of the Cowboys offense is that reduced scoring upside. So Gilbert looked okay, but still don't think we're going to be, you know, flirting with multiple touchdowns uh, on a weekly basis anytime soon. Zeke's going to continue to be anyone's idea of a volume uh, dependent RB2 play. Um, looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers backfield, I think some of these numbers are off a little bit right now. We'll see what the official ones are Monday. James Conner led the way. Uh, only 48% snaps. I think that was probably closer to 60. Nine carries, two targets. This wasn't a situation where they needed to really lean on their running backs as much as we were used seeing. Only 18 team carries for the Steelers. Uh, and this takes us right into our PFF-Lily matchup stat here because the, the Cowboys, they've allowed 100 rushing yards in all but one game this season. Going into this week, their worst game was against the Giants when they allowed rushing yards so again the browns went for 307 the cardinals 261 the washington football team last time we saw the cowboys went for 208 so they are just miserable and the fact that the steelers only totaled 46 rushing yards i mean that is true they were almost double as bad as the next worst rush offense against this cowboys defense you know it's funny how the nfl works sometimes this just seemed like a game where how in the hell could the cowboys possibly keep things competitive Kudos to them for doing so. They still couldn't get the win. In the long run, not getting the win is probably better for them because they can get that higher draft pick because clearly this 2020s Cowboys team is are not going anywhere in January. 2020 Steelers certainly will be there in January, but I think we're going to need to see just more complete overall performances from them to make the, to, uh, make us think they can get, you know, past the Chiefs and get into February. Hey, they're 8-0. That's freaking fantastic. And Ben Rosberg has shown that he can uh, be this more of a game manager guy and just limits turnovers and ultimately comes away with wins. But, you know, we're going to need to see it. We're going to see teams. If the Cowboys can stop this Steelers uh, rushing the offense, then I bet, you know, some of these other teams are going to be able to in January. And when that happens, Rosberg is going to be facing a much tougher secondary than what the Cowboys have. And that is when we will find out just how real the dealers are uh, two more matchups to get through everyone next one up is the Dolphins Defeat in the Cardinals 34 or 31 much more good play from Tua and you know I, I came down hard on him last week but it was also we were keeping in mind that it was against Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and this awesome Rams defense so against you know a much uh, lesser juggernaut in the Cardinals we saw Tua go for 248 yards two scores and also chip in perhaps more importantly for fantasy 35 rushing yards so he never had a game with more than 50 rushing yards at Alabama if he did it was only one Uh, you know not someone that's going to consistently pick up a bunch of yards with his legs but the good news here was just they were using that part of his game and they were asking him to throw downfield. I mean, last week, he had a 4.2-yard average target depth. That was up to 7.8 in this one. He only had two carries for zero rushing yards last week, and again, uh, 35 yards on the ground this one. So a lot of moving pockets, a lot of stuff to get him uh, you know, out rolling to his left. It still looks funky watching a left-handed quarterback out there, but a much more positive uh, throws and just kind of overall performance from Tua in this one. Uh, Kyla Murray, it's just weird. I mean, he went 21 for 26. 283 yards, three scores, had 106 rushing yards in a touchdown. I almost had to double check uh, when I saw the Cardinals even lost this game. But, you know, ultimately Kyler got strip sacked. That went back for six. And they just went five for 12 on third downs. Uh, so they just weren't able to kind of get, get, uh, get the drives going when they needed them to. Look, Kyler Murray, overall fantasy QB1 on this season. You don't need me to tell you this guy is absolutely crushing it. He had an awesome 56-yard bomb to Christian Kirk. Uh, also just generally continuing to look like the best athlete and just fastest guy on the field at times. So very fun to watch. And this was, uh, you know, potentially a look at, uh, you know, two of the top quarterbacks in the league in the future, particularly so seemingly with Kyler. Uh, quick update on Jordan Howard's uh, electric season long rushing line 28 carries 33 yards and now four touchdowns gotta love Jordan Howard you know bringing this uh, you know kind of late season uh, Jerome Bennis his last year uh, into light what was that Jerome Bennett's game like three carries or I think it was five carries negative three yards three touchdowns ultimate kind of vulture running back performance Jordan Howard is trying to push that uh, quickly with these wide receivers mentioned Kirk having the big long uh, touchdown also five catches 123 yards and a touchdown on the day deandre hopkins only three targets uh, 30 yards and no touchdown didn't have a target the entire first half so would not expect that to happen talk about a potential squeaky wheel opportunity here moving forward on the Dolphins side of the ball uh, preston williams suffered a foot injury caught a touchdown beforehand but we're gonna need to keep an eye on that it did look serious with them being carted in the locker room I think the initial reports I saw stated it won't be anything too long but an injury to worry about either way. Uh, Devontae Parker, seven targets, caught six of them for 64 yards. He remains the number one guy in this offense. Uh, With Isaiah Ford out of the picture, we did see Mike Jasicki get four targets, caught three of them for 42 yards. But Jakeem Grant, right there with five targets as well. So it's Devontae Parker on top. If Preston Williams is out, that's great for Jasicki just in terms of overall target share. But just be careful in this uh, two-led offense. They're much more willing, it seems like, to run the ball than we saw Fitzpatrick under center. With these run games. Uh, Miami with Matt Breida and uh, Miles um, um, Gaskin now, excuse me, a uh, situation where we knew it was going to be a little funky, and it, it was funky. We had something named Salvin Ahmed uh, leading the way with 45% snap rate, seven carries. He made the most out of him. He looked fine, but I mean, I, I think he's just a replaceable running back at this point, and they have DeAndre Washington, uh, you know, was with the Chiefs earlier this year, coming in to be the guy uh, moving forward next week. I don't know if he'll be the guy. Matt Breida didn't seem like he was that banged up, so he might be back, but this is certainly looking like a committee of at least three or four backs. As long as Gaskin is sidelined, that is not going to work in fantasy land. Everybody stay away. Uh, Chase Edmonds, just... This one was so disappointing. At least with the Alexander-Madison bust, it was a little bit more Amir Abdullah and Mike Boone than we probably anticipated, so we could, you know, have a nice little learning opportunity from that. But Chase Edmonds played 95% of the offensive snaps in this game. He had 25 carries, 3 targets. Like, this was the exact workload we can want. If it, You know, if everyone that ranked Chase Edmonds as an RB1, if they could see this workload before and still, you know, submit their rankings, I think we would have all put them even higher and potentially ranked them inside the top 3 because that sort of uses exactly what we were looking for against a defense that is a very good defense and this is again a lesson this is a lesson we should take away not that uh not that Chase Edmonds was a bad play, but when evaluating matchups, when a defense like the Dolphins sticks out as a bad defense, we just need to realize in 2020, a bad defense, a bad defense against the run, excuse me, that specifically, a bad defense against a run might not be a bad defense. They might just be a defense that focuses on stopping the pass because it's 2020. You know, a defense that focuses on stopping the run and kind of pops up as a good run defense a lot, the New York Jets. So we see this again and again and again. The top defenses in the league or top pass defenses in the league that's the Miami Dolphins so uh, look with this type of usage I mean Chase Edmonds should have if he finds the end zone once or twice then we're not even having this conversation but long of just six clearly we didn't pay the Dolphins as much respect as we should have this is you know truly one of the top defenses in the league right now it is wild how quickly Brian Flores has turned around this unit but they got some beasts on the defensive line creating pressure they're also not making things easy and the rushing lanes as we saw in on this one uh, gonna need to you know approach this Dolphins uh, defense in the run and pass game with a little more hesitation moving forward pff literally matchup stat here so look 2019 lamar jackson just one of the most wild things we've ever seen from a rushing standpoint he had 176 carries 1206 rushing yards and seven touchdowns here's Kyler murray's 16 game rushing pace 152 carries, 1,086 yards. So those are less than Kyler, um, excuse me, less than Lamar. 16 rushing touchdowns Kyler is on pace for this season. Absolute madness. You love to see it. The guy has been electric. Uh, before we get to our Sunday night matchup, I want to give a quick shout out to the voice of Sunday Night Football himself. Because PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth Podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. So mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. All right, everyone. I really thought this game You know, we'd be talking about something dope or, you know, a shootout or a classic or something. Nope. Saints beat the ever-living piss out of the Buccaneers 38-3. to And this was one that we're actually not going to spend too much time on because this was maybe like the least... Fantasy friendly game ever in terms of just usage. Nobody on either team had more than 10 carries, and nobody on either team had more than six targets. So, because of that, the leading receiver on Tampa was Mike Evans with 64 yards. The leading receiver on the Saints was Michael Thomas with 51 yards. Uh, Taysom Freaking Hill led the game in rushing with 54 yards. Tampa Bay set a new NFL record for only having five carries in this one. I mean, it's just going to be impossible to really take much of any of this usage away uh, in, with, you know, more than a grain of salt because, okay, with Tampa Bay, we can look at Antonio Brown having five targets, Goblin having six, and Evans having six, saying, okay, he's not going to be necessarily featured as far above these guys, but, you know, when you score three points in this and Brady he goes 22 for 38, who knows if we're going to keep this kind of same uh, strategy even moving forward. So, Brady, you know, is picked off once targeting Gronk on a desperate fourth downheave, uh, once on a screen, just kind of got taken, and then before the half, had some miscommunication with AB where Brady went deep, AB kind of cut off the route. So, either way, it didn't seem like it was necessarily going to be a big play on that. The whole passing game just wasn't clicking all game, and I mean, it was just wild. This is one of the most disappointing games from a team that we know is so much better than this. So, you know, hey, they, they put this loss out there. This happened. We can't just write it off, but I just think you know, if we look too much into this one, it's probably going to, you know, be more of a fault to us and try and project the Buccaneers moving forward. So, got to put a lot more respect on the on the Saints uh, name in this one. Drew Brees, you know, this maybe, 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 maybe. I, I understand, you know, the other arm strength. There's still an issue, and they have to go outdoors in January. That's a different conversation, but maybe Michael Thomas being out was actually one of the best things that could happen for his offense, just in terms of they become far less predictable, I think, with him back in option, back in action. When this game, Michael Thomas has six targets. Alvin Kamara had six targets. Breeze freaking had 11 guys with the receptions in the first half. That tied his all-time record for a game. I mean, whatever the Buccaneers were doing on defense, Breeze remained one step ahead, went 26 for 32, 2 and 22 yards, and 4 touchdowns and again I mean in the past it was like okay you got Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara in the underneath areas of the field you better stop them and if you can you're probably gonna be good because they don't have any other consistent options but the Taysom Hill package was ridiculously, you know, voluminous in this one. But, hey, it was efficient as a rusher, as a receiver, even as a passer. So, if it's going to work, then that's another thing defense got to look at. Uh, Deontay Harris had an electric 40-yard gain. Adam Troutman, the second round, or excuse me, fourth round tight end, uh, rookie tight end, had a touchdown. Emmanuel Sanders had a touchdown. Jared Cook could have had a bigger game without a fumble and a drop. I mean, truly. Guys making plays all over the field, all different position groups. Uh, Truly a team effort by the Saints, offense and defense. They took it to a team that a lot of people, including myself, uh, have kind of been slotting in as a Super Bowl favorite for the NFC. Not over the Chiefs, just the NFC uh, to get there. And uh, with that in mind, you know, yeah, I can't take anything away from the Saints. Absolutely spectacular performance. So that is going to do it for this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you all for listening. As always, I shoot these out throughout the week. On on the old Twitter sphere at It's I-H-A are TITZ again, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll have plenty of our content around the way. So please tune in again. Thank you for your time. And until next time, take care, everybody.